So, uh, what are we supposed to do next? I've lost my spot on the script. <laughs> Andrew loves it when we do that. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we are joined by returning champion special guest, Kirsta Christensen. Hello. Welcome, Kirsta. Thank you. Welcome back. Retaining. Uh, we're talking about yeah. Lizzie Bennett oh. <laughs> from the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. The Lizzie Bennett Diaries, if you're unfamiliar with it, it is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, as I'm sure you could guess, but it is as a vlog, a video blog. So it's like YouTube videos of the same per, or, or the people are always facing the camera, just talking about what's happened in their lives. And these are five minute snippets. About five minutes is the average. Is that right? Five to five to eight or 10. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that yeah. retell all of Pride and Prejudice from Lizzie Bennett, Bennett's re- retelling with some, I guess Lydia gets her own video series for a little mm-hmm. while. So Lydia does, um, a couple other characters do, but yeah, it's, it's primarily Lindy, Lizzie Bennett. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where over 180,000 titles wait for you to choose for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. If you have not read the book of Pride and Prejudice, I highly recommend picking it up on Audible, uh, and that would be a great read for this month. This week's episode is also brought to you by a listener. Listener Tessa requested that we do the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and I guess that is really how I ended up watching (laughs) any of the Lizzie Bennett Diaries for the first time. I had heard of it several times. I remember grad school people talking about it when it was actually coming out. How often was it being released when it was first coming out? Uh, about twice a week. Okay, so Kirsten is here as a special guest because she's much more familiar <laughs> yes. with the trivia around Lizzie Bennett Diaries than, than I am. But I remember people talking about it. I even saw a paper presented at a conference on it, and I think they were talking about it as what they called emerging adaptation. Uh, well, and that's actually how we got started talking about it, because Todd, you had mentioned something about like what's the next generation of storytelling, and then we started talking uh, about it on Facebook of, like, well, what about the Lizzie Bennett Diaries with all the interactive stuff? And then Tessa ended up requesting us to do a podcast on it. So Todd, is it, were you also first exposed to actually like engaging with the Lizzie Bennett diaries because we're recording a podcast on it tonight? I knew I had never even heard of it Aww. until we started talking. <laughs> then we started talking about it for the podcast. I had never heard of, of it. Um, and when I started watching it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I just, it, it took me a, a couple of episodes to get um, hooked. And then I was totally, <laughs> it was so it, in, engaging. And especially the stuff that we're going to talk about today. My goodness. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I, I 100% had the same thing where, like, I, I turned it on YouTube last night, uh, and listener Tessa had made us a playlist of the specific episodes because we can't actually watch the whole thing for this. How many hours of content are there? Over 10 hours. Over 10 hours of these very small YouTube videos, which Kirsty, you described as like, uh, like popcorn. popcorn or potato chips. Yeah, yeah you're like, like, oh, just one more. I can just, I'll just do, do one more. more. <laughs> um, but I just really think we're like, I watched the first two, I'm like, this playlist has 40, <laughs> 40 of these. I don't know. And then by like the fifth one, I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm in. I, I honestly think it also takes her a couple of episodes to really kind of hit her stride. But I also feel like that's... That I can, believe that. that I, I don't think we've said who well. she is. Who's the actress who plays... Um, This is Ashley Clement, okay. I believe is the name of the actress, who plays Lizzie and is, and is the most prominently featured person on the show. Yeah, she's in all of the Lizzie Bennett ones, and the other side characters sometimes pop in mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from 
the, what, about two hours of content that we watched, I guess, Todd? Yeah. Yeah. So I came to this, um, a friend of mine mentioned it on social media and this friend is, she's a playwright and she knows Jane Austen really well because she's adapted a couple of Jane Austen stories for the stage. And so she mentioned something about it very favorably. Um, but it wasn't even near the beginning. I thought of you the- were going to say because she's a medium or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> Someday that, that's my other friend. Oh, I was just going to um, say, who hasn't adapted Austen for the stage? <laughs> like really? Um, yeah. So she, so she mentioned it very favorably on social media and I was like, Oh, what is this? And it, and it wasn't even the beginning of the story. It was, it was about 30 episodes in of a hundred or so. Um, and I watched a couple and like, Oh, that's kind of cute. And then like about a week later, I was really, really sick. And so I was home all day and I was bored. So then I started watching it from the beginning. And then I ended up going through like the whole three hours or something that had been, that had been posted up to that point. Um, and then I, and then I started following it and, and was following it in real time through the rest of the, it took about a year for it to run all the way through. Okay. Uh, Kirsa, as again, the one who is most familiar with this, uh, with this text has prepared quite a bit of trivia for mm-hmm. us. So we're going to listen in on some of the behind the scenes information. Okay. So the Lizzie Bennett diaries was produced by Hank Green of vlog brothers fame and nerd nerd fighters too right that's them yes and okay so his brother john green is famous as an author right. for writing the fault in our stars right. and a number of other yeah young adult oh really adults. yeah he's one of the vlog wow. brothers of vlog brothers mm-hmm. um and so and so since he's famous as a vlogger it's kind of understandable that he knows that medium very well um hank green originally wanted to do an adaptation of the diary van frank because he absolutely loves that but he couldn't get the rights so he decided to switch to something that was in the public domain um and in retrospect he feels it was probably better to do a project that has a happier ending that probably helps i was gonna say i can't imagine the tone like this is so tonally yeah (laughs) off from i mean i guess there is some sadness in this one but it's not like (laughs) the diary van frank Uh, the main series includes 100 episodes. New episodes were released about twice a week between April 2012 and March 2013. That time frame happened to include the 200th anniversary of Pride and Prejudice in January 2013, although that was an unplanned coincidence. Um, wow. And then the the writers also made this, we kind of referred to this, a, a really big multimedia experience. So in addition to Lizzie having a vlog, a couple other characters having vlogs, they the primary characters had... Um, they had Twitter feeds, they had Instagram posts, they had Pinterest All pages. All social media. Yeah. And, and like, like when, spoiler, when Bing leaves, um, when Bing Lee leaves, um, <laughs> uh, Jane starts yeah. posting like sad pictures on Pinterest and sad quotes and stuff. Oh and then when like, when like Lizzie and Darcy are spending time together, you see the pictures of them in like San Francisco and all this stuff. So it was really, really, in, um, like intense and really well done. And then like the characters would start following each other's Twitter feeds as they became friends and stuff. And so, yeah, it was just like very, very wow. meta. And I remember when, uh, when I was in grad school, people were talking about this. I remember them saying that, um, when there is a scandalous tape of Wickham and Lydia that he started spamming links about it into view, uh, the other characters, Twitter mm-hmm. feeds and social media and links on, like under the comment sections of the videos and yeah. stuff. So, okay. Next trivia. The actor who plays William Darcy wasn't cast until after the first few episodes had been released. Since Lizzie does several unflattering impersonations of him in these episodes, he had to reverse engineer his performance to fit her impersonations. <laughs> and he does an amazing job. I will, we'll get to that later, but so, I think he does a really great job. Okay. So when I read that trivia, I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Cause I thought he was so stiff. At least uh-huh. the, the first times I saw him, like I, for me, okay, he was like the least, okay. the least, um, 
um, believable of all the actors. He got to grow me as it went along. But yeah. then when I heard he had a kind of match earlier impersonations, like, well, of course he'd be <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> right. less natural than many it's of the interesting others. It's interesting that you would say that because I li- I really liked him uh, from the beginning. I thought mm-hmm. that's Darcy. And I, I'm just looking at the um, at the cast list. I am shocked that he and Gigi are not actually brother and sister. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did a really good job of, of casting people who, who look similar. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. Yeah. The Bennett sisters all looked pretty good too. Yeah. Um, and they're, but they're, but they're all really good actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, in addition to modernizing the setting and changing the location of the story, the characters in this version are also more ethnically diverse. So the Bingley and the Lucas families are both Asian. Um, they, become the Lee family and the Lou family, respectively, and Fitz is black. The location of the Bennett household is never explicitly stated, but characters in the show travel to Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Sacramento, so we assume the location is somewhere in California. This is, as we mentioned, the longest ever filmed adaptation of Pride and Prejudice at over 10 hours. That, that makes me wonder how long it takes to read an audiobook. Like, <laughs> I, you could probably get through the novel faster than you could get through through this version. Uh, the first episode probably. has been viewed 2.4 million times. And the success of the series led to the creation of several spin-off stories, including Emma Approved, a retelling of Jane Austen's Emma. And lastly, the program won an Emmy for Outstanding Creative Achievement in Interactive Media for an Original Interactive Program. As far as, like, all the social media and, like, engaging in these emerging forms to tell this narrative in a way that engaged the audience, like, there's audience engagement with, you know, these characters Twitter feeds and everything. It's mind-boggling to me to try and imagine the effort behind the scenes to coordinate mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Like you said, to coordinate the timing of these pictures releasing and, and all this other thing. So so props to everyone who worked on this adaptation of Pride yeah, and Yeah, the, the one advantage of that that I honestly didn't think of even later or until later is that for a lot of that, you don't need the actress to be involved or the actors to be involved. So you can have someone else running the Twitter feed entirely, someone else running the Pinterest board. I guess if you're taking pictures of the actors for Instagram, then you need that. But, but yeah, so it was the writers doing it and there were different people who were assigned to like write different Twitter feeds and stuff. It was just, yeah, really well done. Yeah. I saw there were several writers who were involved in the project. I'm going to, I forgot to put that under this list. So I'm going to pull that up real quick so we could read off everyone. I wonder, one thing that I was thinking about as I was watching this is um, how difficult it must be to create something that is really engaging, that has essentially no action, right? Like there's, <laughs> I mean, oh, these yeah. actors, these actors have to do everything that they do just sitting still, mm-hmm. I mean, basically still in front of a camera. And I mean, I think in some ways it simplifies production, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you just sit in front of this camera and you do this thing. It's not like the Lord of the Rings where they're uh, <laughs> filming the Battle of Helm's Deep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so I, I, I think that in some ways pr- the production of this is way more simple than, than, uh, you know, even a, even a weekly sitcom. Oh, but, sure. Uh, they seem to have made up it for it with <laughs> this really, um, ambitious social media component. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. I, but at the same time, I think, um, it's, it's way simpler to do, but I think the, like you said, to hold the viewer's interest when it's just people sitting and talking to a camera, mm-hmm. that level of difficulty, I think is a little higher yeah. <laughs> than when you say, well, we've got massive CGI spectacle to hold. Viewers right. Interest. And, I, and I think it kind of like honestly relies on the charisma of the actors, you know, which is, which is, I mean, the, like the writing's very solid, but if we didn't really care about watching you know, the actors who play, who play Lizzie or her sisters every week, then, 
you know, you just turn it off and kind of walk away from it. So, all right, real quick here. If you think I, about, if you think oh. about like vlogs in general, um, I mean, I was doing some random research today for uh, a class that I'm teaching in the fall, and <laughs> I ended up on uh, a vlog of a <laughs> of a woman um, who was talking about what it means to be goth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had like like half a million views, mm-hmm. and it was not like a super high quality thing. It was just this goth person uh, talking about what it means, what it means to be goth. But she had lots of videos and she had a half a million views, which is like nothing to, you know, sniff at. Uh, We take a half million downloads. (laughs) (laughs) I take a half a million downloads. Yeah. But I mean, there is something about this medium that for, I mean, speaking just for myself who I don't spend lots of time watching people's vlogs. Uh, there is something really compelling about the about the medium and, and having someone it feels like they're talking to you mm-hmm. and and there's something really intimate uh, about it that I think you don't get in a, in a big epic like film right yeah real quick just so, so we give I mean, trade-offs proper credit before launching it into the full summary uh, this was created by Hank Green and Bernie Sue and it was written by Bernie Sue Margaret Dunlap Rachel Kylie Jay Bushman Kate Rorick and Anne Toole and we've already mentioned that uh, Lizzie Bennett was played by Ashley Clements um, several of the other characters were played by uh, Julia Cho Laura Spencer Mary Kate Wiles Christopher Sean Jessica Jade Andrus Maxwell Glick Daniel Vincent Gord, which is a great name, <laughs> uh, Wes Adderhold, Craig Frank, and Allison Page. And um, the only one that I like, I, when she came on screen, it was Jane, uh, so Lizzie's older sister. Mm-hmm. When she came on, both Emily and I were like, we've seen her on something. <laughs> oh, what? Did you ever figure out what it was? Yeah, she was on Bones. Uh, oh, on nice. The, yes. Allison Page. Oh, I, feel like I've, I felt like I'd seen her also. Yeah. Allison Page has been on Flash. Oh, which one is she? She's. Um, I'm trying to place her now. Yeah, she's. I'm trying to remember the. I'm trying to think of a non spoiler way to tell you. She um she well, plays another speedster. Okay. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I know that I know that we've said tonight that we're that we're going to be focusing on Lizzie, but honestly, I think maybe the most interesting character for me during this whole thing is um Lydia yeah. Mary Kate Wiles. Oh, absolutely, Mary Kate Wiles. Yes. <laughs> so I, I we've got to uh, give her her just desserts because she is amazing during this during this little run here before we get to the full spoiler uh synopsis that's gonna be given to us by kirsta i just want to remind all of our listeners that amazon possesses many items that you might want to own <laughs> and if you go to protagonistpodcast.com slash amazon when you make any purchase on amazon it is no different to you. It looks like a normal Amazon page. The cost is all the exact same to you, but we get a little bit of money from Amazon because you're using our link. So whenever you feel that impulse to go purchase, you know, a lemon zester or Q-tips or a book or whatever it may be, please do it through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Okay. You ready? Well done. Are you ready for the spoiler synopsis? Yes. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a large fortune must be in want of a wife. That's the familiar first line of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, a web series that premiered in 2012. But wait, this Lizzie Bennet is a 24-year-old grad student studying mass communications, and the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is her personal video blog, or vlog. As for the first line, it's apparently a favorite saying of Lizzie's mother. Lizzie, for her part, thinks it's a backwards sexist idea. 
Lizzie has two sisters, a sweet, thoughtful older sister named Jane, who works in the fashion industry, and a wild and rebellious younger sister named Lydia. Rounding out the cast of the first episode is Charlotte Lou, Lizzie's best friend who also shoots and edits her videos. The Bennett sisters also live at home. Between low-paying jobs and student loans, none of them can afford to move out. By the way, if you're wondering what happened to the other two Bennett sisters, the Bennetts have a rather sarcastic cousin named Mary, and Lydia has a kitty named Kitty. <laughs> In the first episode, the big news is that the Bennetts have a new neighbor, Bing Lee, who's a young, single, Harvard-educated med student from a wealthy family. To be clear, his first name is Bing, his last name is Lee. <laughs> Mrs. Bennett is convinced that Bing would be a perfect match for one of her daughters. Lizzie thinks that her mother's matchmaking impulses are highly misguided. Much to Lizzie's annoyance, Bing and Jane meet and actually hit it off. Even more annoying is Bing's friend, William Darcy. William is the wealthy CEO of an entertainment company, but he's also rude and arrogant. At this point, it's worth explaining that since this is a vlog, it's mostly shot in places like Lizzie's bedroom, or at a media conference, or in the offices where she later does job shadowing. Because of these restrictions in location, a lot of major plot events don't happen on camera. I'd say almost none happen on camera. Uh, the proposal does. <laughs> yes, the yeah. The proposal. Yeah, so a few character interactions yeah. do, but most of this is no, actually them doesn't. just talking about what has happened. Yeah. Which um, is, again, makes it amazing to me how... How, how intriguing it yeah. was to, to watch it all. Instead, Lizzie recounts them to us after the fact, complete with snarky commentary and possibly unreliable narration. She also enlists her friends and family to help her reenact important scenes using stereotypical props to represent each person. So, anyone playing Mr. Bennett holds an old-fashioned pipe, anyone playing Mrs. Bennett wears a floral hat, and anyone playing Darcy wears a bow tie and a newsboy cap, etc. Some characters only appear on camera through reenactments, including Mrs. Bennett, Mr. Bennett, and Catherine de Berg. Some characters, such as Bing Lee and William Darcy, are introduced through reenactments before they appear as themselves. So William Darcy's first mentioned in episode three, but he doesn't appear on camera until episode 59. Okay. I know. Yeah. It's, it's wow. The, the wow. episode where he proposes is the first episode where we see him. Really? That's why. Really? I'm going to break a little bit. That's why in the episode right before he comes in and you can't see his head. Like, you uh -huh. can only see him from the, from the neck down. And that's why it was like this huge, huge, huge tease. Because you had to wait till the next episode uh, to find out, like, who was playing him and what he looks like and was okay. he good enough. And the fandom. That's awesome. Yeah. And the fandom dubbed the day that the next episode would air Darcy Day. <laughs> <laughs> and and then like and in the credits it had like question marks for who was playing him. It was yeah, it was just all over the place. So that's awesome. Good times. Okay. Um. Anyway, Lizzie's not impressed with Darcy, although she quickly warms up to Bing, especially because he seems to make Jane so happy, and his sister Caroline seems nice enough. Soon after, the Bennett decide to do some major remodeling of their house, which means that everyone has to move out temporarily. Bing generously offers to let Lizzie and Jane stay at his house until they can move back home, and they spend several weeks there. Unfortunately, this forces Lizzie to continue to interact with Darcy, who she finds even more disagreeable and unpleasant every time she talks to him. Meanwhile, the local university is hosting a huge annual swim meet, so the town is suddenly full of hot athletes. <laughs> While hanging out at Carter's, a local bar, Lizzie meets George Wickham, a swim coach for a club team named the Meriton Marines. Most of the swimmers at the bar are drunk and annoying, but George seems like more of a gentleman. There are so many Easter eggs of this, it's not even, it's ridiculous. Um, Lizzie and Charlotte go to VidCon, where they run into their childhood friend, Ricky Collins. Ricky, who pompously insists on being called Mr. Collins, now has his own web video firm, Collins and Collins. When Lizzie and Charlotte return, Ricky comes to visit the Bennets and offers Lizzie 
a job, but also manages to insult her in the process. Lizzie angrily refuses the job offer, and Charlotte sets in, steps in to educate Ricky on how he should have approached the situation. By the end of their encounter, Ricky has instead offered the job to Charlotte, who accepts. <laughs> Lizzie is shocked that Charlotte would go to work making low-brow derivative web content for an employer like Ricky Collins, instead of following her own artistic dreams. But Charlotte points out that her family's more financially strapped than Lizzie's, and, he, and taking this job will help everyone. Later, Lizzie and Jane are again hanging out at Carter's when they witness an unpleasant encounter between Darcy and George, who seem to know each other. Lizzie follows up with George about the encounter, and George confides to her, and all of her viewers, that Darcy's late father promised to pay for George's college, but Darcy reneged on the promise, and there's been bad blood between them ever since. Lizzie really likes George, and it seems that he likes her back, but he later leaves town and acts less interested in her. Lizzie moves on, but retains her negative opinion of Darcy. Things are going well for Bing and Jane until Bing unexpectedly leaves town for L.A. without first telling Jane and apparently without any intention of returning. Jane is heartbroken. Lizzie goes to do a job shadow for her um, for her master's program at Collins and Collins and meets Ricky Collins meets Ricky Collins venture capitalist Catherine DeBerg. She also runs into <laughs> Catherine DeBerg's nephew who turns out to be none other than William Darcy. He's in town <laughs> to monitor Collins and Collins business operations and he's brought along his friend Fitz. Fitz and Lizzie hit it off, in part because Fitz is the obvi- opposite of Darcy in almost every way. He's funny, he's easygoing, he's also gay. Fitz inadvertently lets slip that Darcy broke up Bing and Jane, not realizing that Jane is Lizzie's sister, because Darcy thought that Jane was insincere and only after Bing's money. Lizzie's hatred of Darcy grows even deeper. Soon after, Lo- Darcy stops by the office while Lizzie's recording, and very unexpectedly tells her that he's in love with her. As I said, this is the first time we see Darcy on camera. (laughs) Not only does Lizzie not share his feelings, she tells him exactly how much she hates him because of his personality and his actions towards George and Jane. She also accidentally reveals the existence of her vlogs and the fact that she's talked about him on them. A lot. (laughs) Darcy later gives her a letter explaining his actions. Lizzie doesn't reveal the contents of the letter in order to protect the privacy of the people involved, but she says she still blames, and she says she still blames Darcy for his actions regarding Jane and Bing, but she also admits that she has been a bit harsh towards him. What's more, she now has to reevaluate her opinion of someone else who she doesn't name. Lydia turns 21 and has an epic birthday party with lots of alcohol dancing and boys. Lizzie gives her a well-intentioned gift, a book called The Party Girl's Guide to Becoming a Successful Adult. Lydia, <laughs> Lydia, is hurt. <laughs> Lydia is hurt by the implied criticism of her personality and lifestyle. She refuses to talk to Lizzie for the next few days and blows off her family to go spend New Year's in Las Vegas, where she runs the George Wickham. Lydia starts making her own videos, and she also starts dating George. Lizzie's thesis advisor... Dr. Gardner has arranged for her to do another job shadow. This time it's at a San Francisco company called Pemberley Digital. Now, why does that name ring a bell? Lizzie realizes, belatedly, that the name Pemberley Digital sounds familiar because it's Darcy's company. <laughs> it's too late to make <laughs> it's too late to make alternate arrangements unless she wants to defer graduation, so Lizzie's only hope is that the CEO of Pemberley Digital won't pay much attention to the interns. When Lizzie arrives at Pemberley Digital, a woman who works for the company goes out of her way to make sure that she feels as welcome as possible. Lizzie is very impressed with the company. The building is beautiful, with amazing amenities, and the employees seem very happy. Also, Lizzie stalked Darcy on social media, and is reassured that he's currently out of town. At the end of the tour, Lizzie realizes that she hasn't caught the name of the tour guide. The woman introduces herself as Georgiana, or Gigi, Darcy, as in... William Darcy's little sister. (laughs) What's more, she's seen Lizzie's videos, and she knows all the terrible things Lizzie has said about her brother. Lizzie's horrified, but Gigi laughs it off and says she thinks that Lizzie's really cool. Darcy comes back to San Francisco, and Gigi makes sure that he and Lizzie run into each other at Pemberley Digital. (laughs) Their first encounter is awkward, but over the next few days and weeks, they start to become friends. 
Gigi appears in a video to tell Lizzie's viewers about something that happened between her and George. Darcy did give George enough money for college, but he spent it all in one year, and Darcy refused to give him more. After George spent all of his money, he started coaching Gigi, who was trying to make the college swim team. They soon started dating, and George moved in with Gigi. Gigi was in love with George, but she knew that George and Darcy had had a falling out, although she didn't know why, so she kept their relationship a secret from her brother. One day, Darcy showed up at Gigi's condo unexpectedly and found George there. Darcy told Gigi that George only loved her for her money, and, to prove it, offered to write George a large check if he would move out there and then. George took the check without a second thought. In a later video, Darcy's on the verge of asking Lizzie out when she gets an urgent call from Charlotte telling her that George has convinced Lydia to make a sex tape with him and is now planning to sell the tape on a website. Lizzie regrets having become estranged from Lydia, and she rushes home to offer support. When Lydia learns about the website, she becomes hysterical because she thought George really loved her. Lizzie goes back and watches Lydia's, Lydia's videos and sees how George has been manipulating her and isolating her from her family. Lizzie feels complicit in not reaching out to Lydia over the past weeks. Lydia and Lizzie reconcile. The day that the sex tape is due to go live, the entire website mysteriously disappears. Bing returns. He only recently learned about Lizzie's videos, and he watched all of them, and now he realizes that Jane really did love him. They reconcile. Lydia learns that Darcy bought out the company that owns the website, and he now owns all the rights to the video. Lizzie's grateful for Darcy's intervention, but she doesn't know his motivation since he hasn't spoken to her since she left Pemberley Digital. She gets up the courage to call him, but he doesn't answer or return her call. A couple of days later, Darcy shows up unexpectedly at the Bennett house. He explains that he was out of town when Lizzie called, and he, and he couldn't return her call right away, but then he decided he'd just rather have a conversation with her in person. Lizzie awkwardly thanks him, accidentally implies that she just wants to be friends, and then kisses him to make it clear how she really feels. Darcy and Lizzie officially become a couple. <laughs> Darcy offers Lizzie a job at Pemberley Digital so that they can be in the same city. Lizzie turns down the job offer because she doesn't want to be the, quote, girl who dates the boss, but she says she's planning to move to San Francisco to start her own company. Lizzie decides that it's time for her video project to come to a close. In her last video, she talks to Lydia and Charlotte and reflects on everything that has happened in the past year. And I will say, I had to cut out a lot having to do with Jane and Bing and almost everything having to do with uh, Caroline, so... <clears throat> There's 10 hours of content in yes, there, and we just yes. got it in about, mm-hmm. about 10, 10 minutes. minutes. Impressive uh, summary that's there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. So um, Tessa, who requested this, she sent us a playlist mm-hmm. of uh, about 40 of the episodes, yeah. and most of them were from that stretch at Pemberley Digital right. up through um, the uh, issues with Lydia and George being resolved. Right. Uh, and when we on that playlist, we don't know, you know, how that all was going to be resolved. Yeah. Obviously, we knew who had done it. Right. We we're familiar with Pride <laughs> and Prejudice. But the, the hows were yeah. not yet clear. So have you guys not watched the ending uh-huh. yet? The last video? No, I, uh... I have not. So I finished the playlist at, like, 12... 12.30 last night. Mm-hmm. And then I watched, like, two more. <laughs> then I was like, no, I've got to stop. Because yeah. it was still, like, ten episodes uh, until the end. Ten so chips, I'm the... telling you. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, so I have not, I have not watched all the way through the end. Well, the last episodes are really good. You should watch them sometime. Oh, I, I plan to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Todd, you, you um, earlier mentioned that we have to talk about Lydia. And for me, that was one of the most striking differences in this adaptation from all other versions of Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. adaptations was that Lydia was an incredibly sympathetic mm-hmm. figure in this version. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas usually you roll your eyes at her and, <laughs> and you're annoyed by well, her. Well, I think that she she has such an interesting transformation because she starts and she's classic Lydia, right? Like she's mm-hmm. party girl and she's completely disinterested in anything serious. And 
and when she gets mad at, at Lizzie and she says, I'm going to Vegas, it's like, you know what's going to happen. But once that, uh, her own personal vlog starts and, and you see her conversations with Wickham, um, I was just completely, there's something like really chilling. Oh yeah. About Wickham's um, manipulations. mm -hmm. Yeah. About Wickham's manipulation of her. Like it, it takes this, this thing that's like pretty silly for the most part, uh, to a really like serious place for a while. Um, and to, to watch it, I mean, there's something that's like, it's creepy and it feels voyeuristic. Yeah. To watch those conversations between them, mm-hmm. um, but for me, that was by far the most the most engrossing, engaging, um, interesting section of of everything that I saw. Yeah, the first. And I thought Lydia oh, was. I thought the actress. Um, what's her name? Mary Kate uh, Wiles. Mary Kate Wiles. I thought she was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, the first time I went through the Lizzie Bennet diaries, I didn't watch Lydia videos. I stopped watching them because they were so painful to watch. And like George was just, yeah. he's very manipulative and he's very, and you can just see how he uses people. I don't think we got any of the like George and Lizzie videos, but even there, the way he like flirts, but never like really commits to anything and just, um, yeah, no, he's, and, and it's, it's always interesting when people do an adaptation of Lizzie Benedire to see what they do with like the equivalent of Lydia running away. Cause I think in, um, I think in Bride and Prejudice, or no, maybe it's, maybe, actually no, in, in Bride and Prejudice, I think that George got Georgiana, let's see, George Wickham got Georgiana Darcy pregnant. And so instead of just being like, oh, they were about to elope. So they have to have some kind of like scandal that is equivalently, you know, shocking for our modern days because otherwise like eloping to Scotland just doesn't have the same punch that it used to, you know? Um, yeah, but no, but, but, and I, and I think that, I think the writers have said that like the viewers were very, very concerned about Lydia. Like they liked Lizzie, but they were like really, really worried about Lydia and really cared about her and wanted to make sure she's going to be okay. Because like, if you know the source material, you know, Lizzie's going to be okay. But if you know the source material, mm-hmm. Lydia doesn't end up well. And so they were just really, really concerned about kind of where that was going to go. Yeah, um, when, so in our playlist that we were sent, the first time we saw Wickham was with, in the Lydia videos, because mm-hmm. so we hadn't seen any of the other appearances. So he shows up on screen, and my wife and I both immediately said the same thing, like, oh, a pretty boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really amazing bit of, of blatant fan service in one of the earlier videos where, like, George and Lydia and Lizzie are talking on the videos and Lydia comes in and like spills something on his shirt. And so he has to take off his shirt. Oh. <laughs> and, it's like, and Lizzie's like, Oh my goodness. And Lydia's just kind of enjoying it. So yeah. Um, you gentlemen probably won't enjoy that as much as some viewers did. But, um, but I was just going to say I, the Lydia storyline, not only does it like, it becomes a creepier storyline than mm-hmm. what's in Pride and Prejudice because of George's manipulations. It also makes Lizzie um, more oblivious and kind of a darker person mm-hmm. because she uh-huh. hurts Lydia. Oh yeah, and doesn't like like when you read Pride and Prejudice and a lot of the adaptations, you see her snark, but her snark is always played off as innocent because it never mm-hmm. really the barbs don't land with yeah. most people. Yeah, but right. in this instance, she drove Lydia away mm-hmm. with her sarcasm and and her judgmentalness. Well, and even in the earlier episodes, 
I mean, cause you get that like families have these ruts that they kind of end up in, but like she never says anything positive about Lydia ever. And like, yes, Lydia is kind of wild and crazy and flaky, but like Lizzie never tries to have a relationship with her. I mean, all that Lizzie says about all, the only good thing she says about her is like, well, now she can't be on some like reality TV show on MTV about, you know, being a pregnant teenager or something. Like, um, yeah. yeah. And so, and so Lizzie's just very, dismissive of Lydia and, and, you know, and Lizzie and Jane are obviously a lot closer to each other. And so Lydia's kind of left out. There's also a great series where, um, where Lydia goes to stay with Jane while the house is being, or with Mary while the house is being remodeled. And so we meet cousin Mary and then like, they kind of become friends for a while, but then Mary kind of drops her because Mary starts dating someone. And it's, and again, like Lydia just wants to be loved, you know, and she keeps kind of reaching out to people in unhealthy ways, but the people in her family who should be giving her love and attention really aren't. They're really ignoring her. Well, and even I noticed when she was doing, <coughs> I even noticed when she was doing her videos uh, with Wickham, she was still wearing the necklace that Lizzie and Jane oh, had, had given to her. I did yeah, so. I, I think she still wanted yeah. that attachment. Like yeah. you're saying, she wanted someone to love her. It just happened to be a horrible human being is the one mm-hmm. that was willing to give her that attention. But you can completely see how those kinds of, um, you know, dependent relationships and emotionally manipulative uh, relationships can develop. Mm-hmm. And often it, it starts with someone who is emotionally vulnerable because of their home life. Yeah. And part of that vulnerability is clearly coming from Lizzie Bennett's treatment of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a question. I have a question about Lydia and um, Lizzie. Mm-hmm. So in this version of this, um, in this adaptation, I think we get a much more sympathetic uh, an interesting and dynamic Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, and one of the things that I thought was interesting is all of the guilt that Lizzie feels mm-hmm. uh, about what's happened to Lydia. Um, and do you, do you buy that? Like, do you think that she is culpable for what's happened to Lydia? I think she is. Cause I don't think we, I don't, I don't ever get that impression in like the, uh, I haven't read the book for so long. Well, I don't remember exactly how it all shakes down, but like uh, we talked about the the film version, the the Keira Knightley mm-hmm. version, and I don't get that from from that. Usually, the guilt is for not revealing what Wickham, what she knows about Wickham. Right, that, right. That's the guilt, not yeah. that I drove Lydia into that relationship, but that I didn't warn her away from the yeah. relationship. And this is a guilt for yeah, driving her when, into but it. But when Lizzie says, when Lizzie says, "Oh, I should have told her about Wickham," it's I I feel like you know if I was in the room with her, I'd be like kind of patting her on the shoulder and saying, you know, it's not really your fault. You were acting in good faith and you were trying to do the right thing. But in this one, if I was in the same room, I think, (laughs) I don't know. I kind of feel like I would say, you know what? You were kind of a twit to your sister and (laughs) uh, you could have, that, that should have played out differently. I think what's, what's really interesting about this is I think we see the Lizzie Lydia relationship in this adaptation actually gets worse than in any other adaptation. Mm -hmm. Like it's more damaged than any other, like there's never a healthy relationship in other adaptations usually, but it's never bad, (laughs) I guess. And this one, it's bad, but it also ends, I think at a healthier place than any other adaptation or in the actual novel Mm -hmm. where they they seem more like caring sisters at the end of this, or at least the point that we've seen to, uh, than I typically see. Well, in the novel, there's also five sisters. And honestly, I would say Lizzie and Lydia don't really have a relationship. I mean, like Lizzie and Jane are friends and Lydia and Kitty are friends and Mary's kind of own or on her own. And then like, Lizzie sort of judges Lydia and Kitty from afar, and so does her dad. But exactly. like, it's not—it's—it's it's almost more like like warring factions than it is, you know, individuals actually having relationships. I agree with it that. It doesn't have the intimacy that we have here, and that's—and uh, again, like 
talking about the medium, that's the interesting thing about this is that it is so intimate, right? Mm -hmm. like it takes place in bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it, there's, there's something about that intimacy uh, between the, the audience and the character, but also the intimacy between the characters that when they're sitting next to each other, sitting right next to each other, right? Yeah. And, um, and then especially in the Lydia George, like in Lydia's, in Lydia's vlog, mm -hmm. um, the camera's like extra close to them when they're on the couch. And, and I mean, it's, it's like I, I said earlier, like voyeuristic, like there's something about feeling like you're sitting on the couch between these two people and watching this guy, this creepy guy mm -hmm. uh, manipulate this, this young girl. There's something really, really intimate about that that I don't think we get in, in the novel or in any of the, any of the films. Yeah. Um, incidentally, the, the bedroom, Lizzie's bedroom was the actual bedroom of like the director or one of the writers <laughs> or something that was just, you know, and, and she had a, she had a room that worked well enough for Lizzie's room. And so they just took it over. <laughs> yeah. Would like spend it and they would shoot tons, like tons say, of episodes much, in a row. Something say, like, do you know anything about like the 10 or 12? Yeah. They, they would shoot it on weekends and they would shoot like maybe 10 or 12 episodes in a row and, and just kind of try and clear it out and do a bunch of costume changes and stuff. Um, and actually when they were, when they were doing auditions, one of the things they realized is that need, they needed to cast an actress, especially for, for Lizzie, who could learn lines very, very quickly. And so one of the things they did when they auditioned is they, you know, they gave them their stuff to learn. And then when they came to the audition, they said, Oh yeah, uh, we have some extra stuff for you. Can you go learn it too? And like, what they didn't realize is they were not only being auditioned on like how well they deliver the lines, but like, Oh, can you learn another page right now? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it was just like this very grueling schedule, especially since like most of these people were also doing like other jobs and other acting gigs at the same time. So the scheduling was, was very complicated, but if you just, if you hop on iTunes sometime and, and search for Lizzie Bennett diaries, you'll find like two or three really nice podcasts that kind of explain the behind the scenes from various, from various shows that I've, that I've listened to. So if you want more behind the scenes, there's that. Yeah. Um, Todd, you were talking about like the way this medium works, uh, to make particularly the Lydia story, uh, like she definitely feels more of a victim than in any other version of Pride and Prejudice uh -huh. I've ever seen because that, but, uh, were there any parts that the medium didn't work for you? Well, at the very beginning, it took me a little bit to kind of, to get into it. Mm -hmm. I, I thought really they're going to do the whole entire story of Pride and Prejudice with this like. What do they call it? Costume theater. Yes. And, yes. And the Charlotte, like the Charlotte character, I wasn't that interested in her. Mm -hmm. She seemed like, like the Kimmy Gibbler of the show, you know, just like this weird friend. That was a there. full house reference for any listeners <laughs> who were not children yeah. in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of our listeners were children in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> um, but the anyway, I I just was I wasn't that interested, and I thought, man, buckle up because this is gonna be two hours of like a total <laughs> snooze fest. Um, but it, I, I mean, it's there are trade offs, right? Like this is not um <laughs> this is not the Lord of the Rings, uh, it's not the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> there there is not a lot of action here. It's not even the Kira Knightley um. Film of Pride and Prejudice, yeah, which is you, beautiful the scenery soundtrack mm -hmm. and the amazing scenery, and it's just people talking, and I think it's a credit to the writers, um, and to the actors that it becomes this really engrossing, compelling story, even to 
um, you know, a guy like me who is, I'm not going to go out and subscribe to a, a bunch of people's vlogs. Because <laughs> I just don't think that's interesting. Uh, but this was really, really interesting. I and mean, I really liked it. For me, there were a but few it took moments. Me a while to get into it. There were a few moments where like the suspension of disbelief, like pulled me out of it where like, no, that, that wouldn't. And some of it was, uh, the characters like sitting down and saying everything to the camera and like, they're always looking and acknowledging the camera mm-hmm. and Lizzie does uh, pretty often will say like, do you want this to be posted? And they kind of like, like yes. And then they just open themselves <laughs> up to the most intimate details of their life. Yeah. Uh, but the other one was, uh, there's but, a point, see, but I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's totally unbelievable because people do things in vlogs on YouTube. That's how people are. Like they become comfortable with the medium and then they just like bear their souls to people. Well, so, I've heard that about. I think that that's. I was gonna say I've heard that about like reality TV, like uh, Survivor. That like when you see like sometimes like the backstabbing, and it's just right there, and you know this is going on national television. Like I've I've heard the contestants say you forget about the cameras after the first Mm -hmm. day. Like you 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 kind of know, but it's Mm -hmm. not. It doesn't seem weird anymore (laughs) to have cameras there, and and uh, so I I guess that's true. But the uh, at at the end of the playlist we were given, we get um, Gigi running a corporate demo of this new app. Yes. And that one for me was the biggest, like, no, the, these videos would never be released by a corporation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I agree. It's, it's Pemberley Digital. They can afford the best lawyers. But just for our listeners, describe mm-hmm. it. So she's she's testing this new app called Domino that is, like, voice messaging, feature, you know, all these, like, an all-in-one it's thing. Skype, yeah. basically. Um, but she, to to give this demo, she's like, Call George Wickham. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, then, and it's like revealing exactly what the audience needs to know. And, right. it, and she's like almost crying from the personal nature of what's happening. She's right. like, end of the demo. End of the demo. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think, isn't that, doesn't it end up being like there's something about the software that when you like, when you accept the user terms, you also give it your IP address or something? Yeah. And so, so that's, that's how, how they end up finding find. George. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but I'm like, yeah. it, it, whoever's in charge of releasing the, <laughs> the PR for this, for, for Beverly Digital, would have looked at this. <laughs> one video and say, no, uh, go record something else. Call me. You're going to call me on Domino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, was, I was just going to say there's a, there's a Spanish because you know, it's time. It's been, a, I feel like it's been a while since we've had a Spanish reference. Uh, at least a, an episode. There's a, there's a Catalan, um, filmmaker, filmmaker, um, called, uh, Gideon, and he does documentary films and, um, one of the things that he does, one of the techniques that he does is he'll go to a place where he wants to film and they just leave. They don't record anything. They just walk around with their cameras with the people that they want to record. Uh, and, and they just walk around with their cameras for a long time until the people forget that the cameras are there. And then that's when they actually start recording. So they don't, <laughs> they don't, even want, they don't want to waste tape or mm-hmm. like, I mean, now, you know, like a hard drive space uh-huh. on stuff that's going to be unusable. So they just wander around with their cameras and pretend like they're filming for a long time until the people start acting natural again. And then that's when they start filming. Um, so it is possible to, to get used to that. And even the people in her life, you know, Charlotte and Lydia and Jane and uh, Gigi and Darcy, like they're all, they all understand what her project is. And I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any problem believing that mm-hmm. these conversations could exist and be posted on YouTube. In fact, I think this kind of stuff actually happens on YouTube. One thing I noticed, so, so they'll have these conversations or they reenact these conversations and they're, they're 
either fully facing the camera or mostly facing the camera, kind of cheating towards the camera, you know, because it's right. a vlog and you have to face the camera. But if you look carefully, um, when Darcy and Lizzie are together, Darcy's almost always looking at Lizzie instead of at the camera. He just stares at her the whole time, yeah. which I love. Um, I love as just like a nice little, you know, just a little nod to his character or nod to the headspace that he's in. That he's like, yeah, whatever, camera. Like <laughs> you're the you're the more interesting thing in the room. I want to look at you. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you what did you both uh, make of Darcy? So Joe, you said initially you you weren't a huge fan. Did you come around to him? I did. Yeah, he, his performance grew on me. And now knowing both that he had a reverse engineer's performance, the one where I was kind of like, nah, it, that that was his first time. Mm-hmm. You know, on it, I. I I think a lot of that can be forgiven. Cause like I said, I, he kind of grew on me. He just felt less natural, but I mean, that is definitely part of Darcy's character as right. well. Isn't that Darcy? Right. Right. That's what I would say yeah. is that he is stiff and he is unnatural. And especially for someone, I mean, we talked a lot about Darcy in our last Pride and Prejudice episode, but uh, given his uh, set of um, challenges <laughs> with, with talking to anybody, I can imagine how uncomfortable he would feel. But uh, being on on her vlog again that first time that he was on though it felt to me like an actor trying to play uncomfortable not mm-hmm. a person who really okay. was uncomfortable that's fair okay yeah and and what's interesting about this adaptation is that again because because of the nature of the vlog because he doesn't show up at the very beginning he's only in something like eight episodes of the main series, six or eight, I think it is. Um, uh-huh. He's really hardly in it at all. And and in some ways, I think that gives him the harder job to like, you know, you didn't get to meet him. He doesn't have time to warm up to the character. He just has to show up and like be Darcy 100% and be believable and be, you know, a little sympathetic even um, if, you know, stiff. And, and yeah, so, I mean, if, if you contrast that with some other adaptations of, of Pride and Prejudice, which are really like the Darcy show with other characters, you know, um, yeah. he, um, yeah, he does, he does a, a really interesting, amazing performance with only having a few episodes to work with. Uh, should we talk a little bit about Lizzie herself? <laughs> sure. Uh, so what, uh, it, it, I, I, I was, uh, it was really hard for me to like process like what my reaction, like when I tried to think about Lizzie, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know that I know a whole lot about her, <laughs> which is weird to say. Um, cause I felt like I, f- maybe it's because it was so different. Like I really got into the Lydia storyline mm-hmm. a lot more than Lizzie herself. Like in some ways she was kind of a blank slate. Um, as far as what that character was, I'm, I'm not blaming the actress or anything. Like I thought mm-hmm. it was an endearing performance and she did a great job with it, but the character of Lizzie was kind of blank in a lot of ways yeah. for me. Well, you've only seen 40 episodes. Yeah, only 40 of the 100. <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting because one of the reasons I think that a vlog adaptation works for Pride and Prejudice is because Pride and Prejudice is so much about how we interpret people and how we, you know, misjudge them or get secondhand information about them. And so on the one hand, you, you do have to take Lizzie's word for everything, you know, with, with a lot of the major characters, especially at the beginning. But on the other hand, I think that, um, that it really works for this story. Like, yes, it's actually a much more biased story because you're really getting Lizzie like 90% of the time, you know, it's her yeah. kind of talking. And, well, and I, 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 you learn a lot about the other characters because Lizzie like tells you what she thinks of them and, right. and her interpretation of them and, right. you know, the, the, the dress of theater. But I, 
I mean, we kind of get this with Lydia, but I almost wish other characters would say that about Lizzie in mm-hmm. some ways, because uh, everything is so 100% her point of view. No, they're... Okay, again, you haven't seen the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep saying that. Yeah, there's there's a point... She and Charlotte actually have a pretty big fight when Charlotte goes off to work for Ricky Collins, and they don't talk to each other for a while, and Charlotte does her own videos, and then they end up reconciling. And so that, you kind of see, okay. like, Lizzie has a moment of kind of being like, okay, I've been selfish, and I've only thought about myself, but I didn't really think about, like, you know, like, I'm going to grad school, Charlotte can't even afford to go to grad school, but we both have the same dreams kind of thing. Yeah. Like, the, the for me, like, in this sequence, the things that were actually most revealing were, I mean, the the one that was most revealing is when she finds out about Lydia having been manipulated and mm-hmm. all that, everything that's going on with Lydia, and, and we see her guilt. And, like, she really rawly opens mm-hmm. up about her guilt. But most of the other time, it's it's her, like, telling us what's, what's happening in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's not as internal as I would have expected for a vlog, I guess. Sure. But isn't that, I mean, isn't that one of the differences between, like, novel versus film is yeah. that you get you don't have that much of like internal kind of dialogue yeah and i i've never seen a right vlog back. adaptation so right. there's probably other parameters that are at play with a vlog adaptation yeah. versus a traditional film or miniseries yeah. adaptation as well i thought she was charming and um and i think a more it's in some ways she's a flatter character in this than we than we get in other in other uh, adaptations and in the novel itself because we don't have we we don't have that internal um like we can't see inside of her like we mm-hmm. can um but on the other hand i think she's a more interesting character like that just that that guilt that she feels and the kind of frustration that i feel with her about her relationship with lydia uh those the the emotions that it elicited in me i think were realer and um, more uh, raw than than with any other adaptation of the uh, of the novel that I've seen. Yeah, and one, one other change, There's something really, yeah, like if we say that art is, uh, you know, like artifice designed to elicit an emotional response, like the emotional response that I had from this adaptation is a stronger, stronger probably than with any other adaptation of the novel that I've read that I've seen. One other change that I really appreciated that I thought, um, deep into the characters was Jane and Bing Lee. Uh, when they get back together, it's not just a, yes, of course we're still in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Like they say, relationships that are that rocky <laughs> don't recover instantly, um, which the book and every other adaptation, it does, mm-hmm. you know, Bingley's right. back and he loves Jane and Jane never stopped loving him. So yeah. everything's perfect. They take the time for Jane to say, we can start over, but it is starting over. We are not going back to what we had before, yeah. which I think uh, is a lot more mature version of an, you know, adult romantic mm-hmm. relationship than what we often are, are presented. I, and I said, I, cu- I cut most of the Jane storyline, but, but her, her arc is more, she always thinks of other people. She never thinks of herself. That's um, classic Jane. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then when she, <laughs> and there's also even a bit where she like moves to LA to find a new job. Of course, in the book, she moves, goes to London um, and, you know, wants to talk to Bing and he's not there. Um, but it's a lot about her trying to decide what she wants for her life instead of, caring about other people so much that that one person can kind of completely you know derail her or or the, the meddlings of the of the friends of someone and i think there's a bit more calling out of being for letting himself be be kind of manipulated by his friends and his mm-hmm. sister um it's been a while since i've kind of seen those those episodes like both but. of them become more assertive characters mm-hmm. I, I think by the end although although well i mean assertive yes but uh, she 
she does give up that job that she had in L.A. Mm-hmm. when the whole Lydia thing goes down, and the family, all, the sisters, all get back together to show like solidarity. Um, and Lizzie says, "What about it's Fashion Week?" And she says, "Well, well, I, I guess I'll have to find a different job." Yeah. Um. So she is. She is still like self-sacrificing Jane. Yeah. Um, although, <laughs> I, I guess having known people who worked in like costumes and fashion. I mean, like, no, it would not be a good thing to quit your job before Fashion Week, but a lot of these jobs are very temporary anyway. Yes. And so, you know, maybe she quit the job, like... <laughs> a week before oh, it was going to end. Exactly, anyway. exactly, It wasn't yeah. going to last so, past yeah. Fashion Week. So, this this wasn't her, like, um, her, like, you know, 40-year union job that she was going <laughs> to retire on. Uh, the, uh, the Jane and Bing storyline and the way that the, it kind of refashioned that ending, it made me think of a Shakespeare retold, I think was the name of a BBC mm-hmm. series where they updated a bunch of Shakespeare for, for modern day and they did much do about nothing. And it was set in this newsroom, but they had, uh, for the Claudio and hero relationship, which we bashed pretty heartily in our much do episode. <laughs> um, I, like, obviously, because it was upstated to the modern day, they didn't fake her death or anything. I, I can't remember all the details of how they did it, but, I mean, they kind of followed the through line that they were together. Mm-hmm. He got manipulated. They they fell apart. And then he realized he was manipulated, and he tried to get back with her. And in this updated version, she says, uh, no. <laughs> like, you treated me as badly as a human yeah. to treat another. I am not taking you back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, which, again, I think, I don't know if it's just changing... Um, you know, social customs about dating and, uh, all these other things. But I, I think that it's an update that, uh, works you know, that resonates today. Mm-hmm. I think one of the coolest things about this, about Lizzie Bennett diaries as an adaptation is that it really is an adaptation, right? It's not a direct translation. Um, which is what I was, I think I was expecting more of like beat for beat to follow the story. And it does do a pretty good job of following the story of Pride and Prejudice. And anybody who knows Pride and Prejudice will can jump in at essentially any point in this and I think understand what's going on and who the characters are. Uh, but it is an adaptation in the sense that like they're adapting this. And they're willing to make changes and have Kitty be a cat and have <laughs> Mary be a cousin, right? And, um, and they didn't feel like they had to follow the source material mm-hmm. so closely – that they couldn't tell this a story that would resonate better with modern audiences, even than Pride and Prejudice itself, which is a, a story that's stood up to time. I mean, it stood the test of time, uh, and yet they they had the courage to say, you know, let's make some changes and have fun with this. And um, and I think that the most successful adaptations are are those that that feel like they don't have to follow the source material one hundred percent, but they understand the medium that they're working with, they understand the audience that they're going to be playing to, and they're, they're willing to make necessary changes when, uh, when they feel like it. So can you give an example out of, of an adaptation of, of any work that you think is more of a beat per beat adaptation? The first Harry Potter film. And it's bad because of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and by the time we get to the third Harry Potter film, which has a new director who yeah. loosens up yeah. his fidelity, uh, uh-huh. it's a better film. Okay. Like the first two had the same director and it was, super faithful as much as the running time of a film allowed. Mm -hmm. And they're not the best films. And the third one actually strays quite a bit, Mm -hmm. uh, introduces some new elements, has has a much more playful tone uh, with the world, I think, and is a better film for it. Would you... So, because because you're saying that, and I'm also thinking of things like modernized Shakespeare, where mm-hmm. because it's Shakespeare, they very often keep the exact language. So, do you think mm-hmm. that is a beat-for-beat adaptation, or do you... 
So like when they just changed the setting. Yeah. For, for yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's a pseudo adaptation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a, a professor I know named Dennis Cutchins who runs the adaptation area at the popular culture association. Mm. And every once in a while I sit in on some of his meetings and, uh, the, you know, the paper presentations, that's actually where I saw Lizzie Bennett paper was at in the adaptation area of the national popular culture association's academic conference. And I just, I st- my head starts to ache when I hear like the debates that go on about fidelity to text <laughs> versus, versus like thematic adaptations yeah. and faithful adaptations and settings and all these other things. Like there's a lot of really interesting and complex theory around mm-hmm. adaptation. And right. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I do not have all of the language necessary mm-hmm. or the, the foundational, <laughs> uh, you know, conceptions to really engage with some of the questions, yeah. but I know the answers are out there. Okay. And these are the kinds of things that get debated in entire book length monographs, yeah. you know, cause I, well, I, oh, sorry. Well, I just, I think that there, there can be like really faithful adaptations that are, that are done well. And, um, I mean, they work fine. They, uh, much Ado About Nothing. I think both of the film, the, the famous film versions, the more recent film versions of Much Ado About Nothing, are pretty faithful adaptations. Yeah, they trim, but work. they don't and, take. Uh, they trim language, but they don't add anything that's not there in the original. Yeah, and they're great. Like those are delightful films. So uh, I mean, it's not like uh, you know uh, 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 the even the like the longer. Um, <laughs> I want to say the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> which is not. Which is not the original BBC version, but um, by the way, I the, the, I watched the 1995 version between the time we recorded really? the last podcast and this really? one. I did, yeah. Quick, quick uh, for think? our listeners, a um, quick review. I didn't hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a rousing, what a rousing I, recommendation. I didn't like the first episode much. I warmed up to it more with the later episodes. Um, Once he's in the lake, that's when you're like, okay. <laughs> actually, no, the lake drives me nuts. I know um, it's such a weird moment. <laughs> Well, okay, and I think I'm like, it's like really we'll just talk about that moment. I think what they're trying to do is kind of, of kind of like switch around their roles, where before he's been the comfortable one and she's been the awkward mm-hmm. one, to suddenly make him very uncomfortable in her presence. Yes, so that's fine, and you can do that in a moment, but that's you know, and that's an interesting thing to explore, where he suddenly has to like get changed and and you know run after her, but um. I also like the moment as Jane Austen wrote it, which is like, he is as comfortable as he could possibly be. Well, he's, he's awkward when he meets her, but like, this is his home. This is where he's very comfortable. And then he still is very gracious. Um, I also, I also like the, uh, gratuitous sweaty sword fighting scene that I believe is also not in the original. <laughs> yeah. Version. I don't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really, it I really, mean, there was no swim instructor getting stuff <laughs> spilled on his shirt and having to change it on a vlog. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Um, and there's, and there's a lot of kind of maiden butler of, dialogue of like, as you know, Jane, we must marry for money and not for love. You know, they're kind of helping people out or as you know, there's an entailment on the house. Um, so I appreciate what it's trying to do, kind of bring people into the story who really don't know the story at all. It, it will never be my favorite adaptation, but, um, but I did really enjoy it. <laughs> uh, where were we before you revealed the Bob show? Yes. You've actually watched the 95 <laughs> BBC adaptation. <laughs> we were just talking about how, I, I mean, I, Oh, literary adaptations. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I think faithful adaptations can be done well, and and that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I'm I'm happy to see something like this that takes the source material and I think is is faithful to. I mean, like like Joe was saying, thematically faithful. Um, I think it's faithful in tone for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's fun and it's uh engaging, and you're interested in these characters. Um, but 
but they took some liberties and I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. And, and the liberties that they took, like giving Lydia uh, her own voice and her own place to, 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 for us to see her story. I think that's really interesting. And like somebody like Gigi, who um, is, is there in the book, but, but not, it doesn't have the presence that she has um, in, in, in the, in the, Lizzie Bennet Diaries. I just think that's cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really liked it. Yeah. On the, on the video where she introduces herself at the end of the video, that completely took me by surprise. A lot of viewers kind of saw the coming like, oh, okay, but I was so in my, you know, Pride and Prejudice novelization mode that I was like, oh, she's the equivalent of the housekeeper. She's just a nice person who works yeah. there. And then I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah I did not catch it until <laughs> yeah. she said the name. Yeah. Either. I, I'm a sucker for adaptations in general. Um, Maybe because I don't like news stories. I just like the stories I already know. But also, um, <laughs> you know, so, 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 so stuff like, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead mm-hmm. or into the woods or, um, but I'm also fascinated by when you get really, really far from the source material. Like, what are the bones yeah. of the story? Like Hundred you know? Acre Law. This is like- <laughs> yes. That is ex- I was thinking more, oh. I was thinking more on the line, on the lines of Blackstone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but something like, like Bridget Jones diary, which is also a very, very loose adaptation of Lizzie Bennet diaries. She has no siblings. All you have is Wickham and Darcy and Lizzie. And that's actually enough. Mm -hmm. Like that's enough for it to be pride and prejudice. You know, you don't need, um, you don't need Jane and you don't need Bingley. And obviously there are reasons that they show up in most of the adaptations, but just as like when you get really, really far away from it, or if you have like a lot of different versions of a fairy tale or something, you know, what are the constant elements? What are the elements that get switched up? I just think that's fascinating. Like what are the bones of a story? You know, Um, it's interesting to think about like at what point, (laughs) like how much could you strip out of this story and, and have it still be recognizable as Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Or, or even when we're talking about adaptation, uh, again, that professor Dennis Cutchins, I've been working with him on a project, um, where he's, he's dealing a lot, um, with another person named Dennis Perry about Frankenstein adaptations, oh. but they're getting heavily into like, at what point do the adaptations like s- supplant the original text mm-hmm. in audiences' minds? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly with, with Frankenstein, like that's an easy go-to one because in the, text the monster is incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. <laughs> and is very fast moving and and doesn't have a name and, and doesn't have a name well yeah. he gives himself the name adam oh does he okay. yes <laughs> um but we get this boris karloff 1931 mm-hmm. you know film version with boris karloff playing him as a slow moving uh you know inarticulate monster um and that's become you know, our popular culture conception of, of Frankenstein. And they're, they're digging into like all these adaptations at what point have like other aspects from other adaptations, like supplanted Mm -hmm. even that Boris Karloff and our larger idea of Frankenstein is no longer Mary Shelley's text. It's all, it's all this conglomeration, (laughs) you know, of, of just this mass of adaptations that have happened Mm -hmm. of that one particular text. And I think there are other texts, a lot of Shakespeare texts. I think Pride and Prejudice, um, is getting there where there's just so many adaptations that have been done that our, our idea of it is no longer the original source. Well, or what if you're working with a story that doesn't have an original source? You know, what if it's like a a myth or a fairy tale or something that doesn't have one canonical version? Like, like I, um, I always get really frustrated when people assume that the Disney version is the canonical version of a fairy tale. But then also, I also, 
the people who counteract are like, well, in the original, like, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Stop right there. Right. <laughs> we don't um, have an original. We I have was, the Grimm's writing some stuff I, down. I was talking to some, yeah, I was talking to someone once about Pride and Prejudice and they were insistent that Mary and Colin, Mr. Collins ended up together. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it turns out they had only seen the Mormon version of Pride and Prejudice. And I was like, you know what? I enjoyed that version just fine. But if that's the only version of Pride and Prejudice you've seen, you don't really know Pride and Prejudice, yeah. you know, and you need to acknowledge that and not say, oh yeah, Mary and Mr. Collins get together. Well, do we have any uh, final thoughts? I think we're... Uh, just real quick, I wanted to ask Kirsta, who's mm-hmm. watched the entire thing, about the character of Jane. I okay. mean, we t- already touched on that she ends up a bit more assertive at the end, but how she, at the beginning, because uh, really we didn't see anything of her right. <laughs> until she's coming back for Lydia. Yeah, so she... Um, she... Uh, yeah, so in, in our playlist, kind. not in the actual right, Lizzie right. Bennet Diaries. Um, so oh, she's very kind. We see her like you know looking out for Lizzie and all this stuff. And Lizzie and Jane have an interesting, kind of interesting development when Jane first becomes interested in being in being because because um, Lizzie's really frustrated, like oh you're going to date this guy that like mom hand picked for you to marry, and she was like you know I like him. What are you talking about? And so we do see like she's very very you know, kind and thoughtful, but she also has a backbone and is willing to stand up to Lizzie. And there's actually a really funny reenactment, um, like character reenactment where they, where they dress up as each other and are kind of like making fun of each other. And so she's trying to be, <laughs> she's trying to be as snarky as Lizzie and she can't pull it off. But she's just like, and now I will say something mocking. <laughs> you know. So, um, so yeah. And, and so with, you know, with that whole relationship and with kind of, um, with her talking about how she feels about him and I, I think she gets, I think she gets some good, um, character development there. And then when, when Bing leaves, she, it's just heartbreaking. Like she's trying so hard to keep it together and keep it together for the family. And there's like, there's an episode where she just breaks down sobbing where she can't figure out what she did wrong. And it's just so, um, so yeah, it's, and, and I don't know, you know, exactly what kind of answer you were looking for. Um, no, that was all yeah, good information. Yeah. That's so, kind of the stuff I was thinking about. Yeah. So thank you. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, if you are looking to engage with this, I know the whole thing was put out on DVD, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also all still up on YouTube oh, yeah. <laughs> in a playlist that you can just click on the first one and it'll automatically play the next one. So if you just search Lizzie Bennett Diaries mm-hmm. on YouTube, you'll be able to find uh, the entirety of this. And the, this, the, the this Lizzie one. playlist is 100 episodes, and there's probably a playlist of that, and the full one is probably like 120 or so. Yeah, so if you look out for that one, you'll get the, the Georgiana episode. episodes and Lydia's episodes and apparently Charlotte and has, mm-hmm. so, uh, but I, I'm sure there's a playlist that would just play them all in order. Yeah. I wouldn't try to do it in one sitting. <laughs> you know, but you'll keep telling yourself, Oh, just one more episode, just one more episode. So yeah. be strong, cut it off. Don't stay up till midnight. You know, Well, and this is just a really interesting thing to be just final thought for me. I, when I was looking up some stuff about this and the production, it said that when they wanted to put it out on DVD, um, they did a Kickstarter mm-hmm. to fund it and their goal was $60,000 and they met that in hours yeah. in, in like five or six hours. But it's just fascinating to me because this is content that's there for free <laughs> and they raised $60,000 to repackage it in a different format uh, for people, which part of that was from me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not judging anyone who, who did that, but I think that says if you make a product that people are going to engage with and that they're going to love, mm-hmm. um, I, I think you'll find ways to monetize that and yeah. be able to, you know, to continue on doing that thing eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about this. It was totally delightful. And, uh, I'll try to slowly make my way through, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> through all of it. I really do want to watch it all. I just, um, 
part of the, one of the things that's hard about this podcast is that there's always another story coming. <laughs> I mean, there are I, occasionally things that I'm like, Oh, I want to go back and do that or read the sequel to this or something. But man, there's always something coming up right, uh, right around the corner. You should, you should do a run of stuff that you know super well. So you don't have to like rewatch it before you do it. It's like the all, you know, the all Todd all the time. <laughs> I think we always have to rewatch it. <laughs> we always at least have to do a pass. I will spoiler warning for our listeners. There's one episode where Todd had not finished the text, I will say. <laughs> be it novel, film, episode. There's no, there's only one that's happened so far. But I think you pulled it off beautifully, Todd. I don't think anyone will ever know what episode. I don't even remember it. Well, you had... It's something that you had engaged with previously, but as far as like a fresh review, you had not finished that <laughs> right before oh, our recording. <laughs> yes. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> It'll happen to me. Uh, it's coming, I'm sure. <laughs> when the baby comes, it's going to happen to me. <laughs> Todd, I don't have the script. I cannot up. Can believe you... how much we have um, covered in in the year and a half that we've been doing this. So we'll do uh, we'll we'll do some stats probably around when we get to the hundredth episode. We'll do some review stuff. But I know we have produced over three days worth of content. Oh my gosh! Listened back to back to back to back, all of our episodes. It is now over three days straight. Wow. So any listeners who are finding this, don't go back to our early episodes. We didn't know what we were doing yet, and we apologize <laughs> for some of the meandering nature of those early conversations. Uh, just cherry-pick the ones that sound most interesting as you're looking at our back catalog. Okay. We ready to wrap this up? Yes. Uh, do you have the outro? I do. I'm looking at it right now. One take, Todd. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all also on Twitter uh, at protagonistpod. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And Kirsta is at BYU underscore librarian. Well done. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. If you like the show and would like to support us financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can make any purchases on Amazon at protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Uh, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation for the show with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye-bye. Uh, I, I feel fortunate to have left that with a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've pretty much landed on a tie in the feedback on the Facebook page too. Uh, the funny thing about that is, do you remember at the very beginning we flipped the coin and it landed up and right the, the thing, and it landed on its side. And I said, I wonder if this is a, if this is a, like a, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. And you said, there's no way that can happen because there are, there are five, there are five shows. There's no way we could end in a tie. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay.